1: Welcome to the Hockey cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and uh, joining me is uh, my good buddy Craig Hustins. Craig, what's going on, man?
0: Oh, nothing. Just getting ready for playoffs and hitting the road for the next few months. Um, now that the local team here in Detroit has not offered me any home games in the playoffs, that's really the that's really the um, saddest thing about the streak. Is it's making me work a little harder. The streak
1: ending. Yeah, it's 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 insane because I um, I have never been alive. For the Red Wings not being in the postseason, yeah, um, which out. is weird. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm 20. You're I'm, under 25 years old. I'm 25 old exactly. I was born in
0: 1991. Oh my gosh, a
1: 91. Yeah.
0: Good for you. You are young. I
1: didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so. This is weird. This is a very uh, uncharted territory. But listen, we're at the time of the year where we're starting to see some of these young guys get called up for a, a few game cameo to maybe uh, show the teams and their fan bases what they can do. And, and we're giving you a chance here to uh, make one last ditch frenzied effort to get your face on the PDOcast Mount Rushmore. <laughs>
0: oh, is that what this is oh no. <laughs> Uh, I feel like my um, my record speaks for itself, Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes,
0: and um, if if my previous appearances didn't do it, I'm not sure we're going to be able to rescue it today.
1: No, I think it's going okay, to be a great show. I, I think it's going mean, to so. be a great show. I saw you the other day on uh, you were on CNN talking about hockey. You, were, you didn't have a British accent on, but you, you're the, the the host did. It was a pretty uh, impressive showing. So this is a bit of a downgrade in terms of uh, you know the prestige of the show. But I think we're still going to still going to have fun, anyways.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Well, the other one—I was accused of. Uh, I did a uh, an appearance on Outside the Lines, uh, kind of a journalistic heavy show here in the states on ESPN, and mm-hmm. and uh, I was accused by friends of having a, of faking a strong Canadian accent, which is um, <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to it because I I I guess I've always I guess I hang out with too many Canadians or being north of Windsor. Yes, that's what happens.
1: Well, I mean, it all ob- it just instantly like gives you. Uh gives you a bit more clout in the hockey community. If you sound like you're kidding. So. <laughs> right. right. uh, let's, let's, let's talk about the Olympics. I feel like you're the, you're the right guy to talk about this with basically. Let's just All right. lay, 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 lay the scene out. Like, how do we get to this point where we're at right now?
0: Uh, it's a, it's a great question. I, you know what? I, the longer this dragged out, the less I was worried about it because I just assumed if they, NHL didn't want to go, they weren't going to go and we would have heard about it. And the fact that it took this long, I'm like, well, then there's a negotiation to be had. And, there is at some point somebody will offer the nhl whatever they feel like is is worth it to to go and 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 then we're gonna go and and it never happened um i think it started you know if you want to trace it back a ways it starts with the ioc pulling the money the funding um and if you to believe gary bettman that kicked the hornet's nest that is the own nhl owners and and all of a sudden guys that weren't really weighing in on it were now, there was a debate on on whether or not to go and, and they were upset about that. And by the time the IHF came up with the money, um, this was already a full fledged debate. And that's, I mean, that's the NHL side of it. Um, The PA side, you know, I, I certainly understand it. Like the, here's this huge opportunity, the next two Olympic games to, to promote this, the NHL and the sport of hockey in an area that's ripe for growth. And I had somebody point out to me, if you look at if you had a, a graph of the revenues league wide of the NBA, let's go back 10 or 15 years and the NHL. And he said at one point they were pretty close to each other and the NBA has just skyrocketed, whereas the NHL hasn't. We're in a stagnating cap and that's a part of it. And his reason was they, they didn't dive into that market as aggressively as, as NBA has successfully. And I think there's some validity to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think the NHL just in general has a bit of a a marketing problem, or or just an issue kind of reaching into these different fan bases and and and, and get, getting new fans because it does a really good job of uh, catering to its already diehard fans. But it's like to take that next step, you got to get get those new fans that are they're necessarily either on the fence or or, or aren't into, even into hockey at all right now that could be potentially swayed.
0: Yeah, and and in some areas they do a great job of that. Like uh, Gary Bettman has been aggressively expanding into the Sun Belt. I I give him full credit for that. And some of these markets, um, I know I saw Aaron Portsline out of Columbus was tweeting there's some sort of celebration of hockey in Columbus going on uh, the next couple of days. And I look at that market and I mean that none of that existed 20 years ago. And I, I mean, it, it does seem like when there's an, an effort by the league to, to hit a new market, the sport sells itself. And that's, that's the frustrating thing. Like, I think the NHL succeeds in spite of itself at times because hockey's, I mean, obviously we're biased, the hockey's great. It's a, it's a great sport. It's got everything you want in the sport. And it's only getting better with the, the more that the skill is highlighted and it, But sometimes I just think that they they don't think big enough as a league and it's, and we're too happy to kind of just placate this, this little niche of the world that we live in and rather than expand beyond that
1: yeah i mean i'm pretty sure if you just like sent Connor mcdavid to like every single different country out there and just let people watch him play hockey that they'd all you'd all of a sudden have a lot of uh, a lot of new fans like it's pretty hard it's pretty For tough sure. it's pretty tough to watch a guy like that and there's so many other guys like that whether it's matthews or eichel or, or you go on down the list like just guys where they're just so captivating and so exciting and they really do as you said just sell themselves
0: they do and so here we are in this Golden era of young talent coming in each generation or each each draft year. I like, guess until this year, you know, almost seemingly better than the last one, and and, and you know, skill off the charts because these kids have all been working with skilled coaches since they were twelve and skating, and so they're, they're coming in and they're flying. and And we're going to tell that generation, no, you you stay home for for, the, for this Olympics. And if the IOC is to be believed, maybe the next two Olympics, if the you know if those threats of Beijing are true, so. I mean, that's what, that's what kills me. It's like, yeah, it would have been cool to see Crosby try to defend uh, the gold or go for three and, and all that stuff with that, that great, you know, as Pierre Lebrun likes to call it the golden generation of Canadians. But uh, to me, the killer is that we're not exposing the world to Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and Patrick Liney and these great young stars and Jack Eichel. Um, I don't know because we don't have hard metrics, I guess that's, that shows it works.
1: So, from the league's perspective, I mean, I've heard them toss out the idea that they don't, you know, they don't want to go do these Olympics because it'll throw a monkey wrench in the middle of the season. But, I mean, I find that to be a, a, an interesting uh, approach because it's like. You could argue that the world cup before the season messed things up even more. And I think that, you know, the players would all say they love it. The people covering the league, like you and I definitely love the Olympic break. Like I, I I think it's much more to do with the, the insurance issue and the financial incentives, right?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know what the true reason is. It can't be like, it can't simply be because of the shutting down of the season because And this isn't my own original thought. I mean, everyone has said this, but the league has no issue shutting down the season. Every time there's a CBA negotiation, right? (laughs) Like, so, you know, so to get what they want, they'll, they'll cancel an entire season. But, um, and, and Dave Loza wrote a great column on it, um, yesterday. It just basically saying this idea that there's any momentum in February of hockey, like we're losing momentum by going to the Olympics. I mean, those are like the dog days of, of the season where you see teams kind of slip into losing streaks because of disinterest. And like February hockey, I mean, was, uh, you know, it's, we're all focused on the trade deadline stuff. It's, I don't think there's a huge, you know, wave of momentum that's lost by going to the Olympics. I, I mean, if they really truly believed it, then they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have wanted to negotiate or had the CBA conversation about ex- extending that. Like, if they really truly believed it killed the game, and then you, then you you say that right away you just don't go but the fact that they were willing to engage in those conversations suggests um that you know they were
1: yeah yeah um the season's already way too long i definitely think that having a few weeks off in the middle of it would be a, a very welcome uh, change of pace but so let's let, from the players perspective um yeah, it's, this is happening February 2018 is when the Olympics are and Eric, a great example is Eric Carlson's contract is up, what, like five months after that? Like, yeah. I mean, Eugene Mellick's already been on the record saying that he wouldn't let him go. But uh, is he really willing to uh, risk losing Carlson in free agency just because he wanted to save face and, and stand his ground here? Like, I, I feel like that's a, a very silly approach for a, for an owner to take with such a big, big decision looming.
0: Yeah, I we just posted, I had a conversation with Alan Walsh. You know, Alan is so outspoken mm-hmm. and clearly it's a one-sided conversation. So you have to, you know, in terms of you have to realize that he's coming from the player's perspective. Right. Um, but, you know, he made this, he made a really good point. He said that if, at some point, the league's going to announce he's going to take it out of the owner's hands right and even if an owner wants to go they they're going to they're going to set up a fine or whatever the punishment is that's so restrictive that even a you know an owner that is supportive of their players wouldn't be able to do it and then he believes that you know, the relationship with the NHL and these different federations is going to prevent the federations from even engaging in these. And even if they want the player, I think his quote was somewhere along the lines of, um, you know, there may be no place for these players to go. And and so he's, he, he thinks it's very sincere that these guys are saying we're going no matter what. But then, he you know, he suggests that when push comes to shove, it just may not be a realistic option.
1: Yeah, Frank Saravelli Frank also wrote about how he, he raised the idea that the league could even like penalize teams by by taking away draft picks and stuff, which yeah, that's going to be it's going to be fascinating. But I mean, then the next domino to fall would be like, let's say the league just takes out of the owner's hands and the players can't go, then uh, I wonder how that's going to uh, go over with the players in the NHLPA come September 19th, 2019
0: awful we go awful, <laughs> and that's the worst part about this is is and and I'm, I'm hard on the league now because it's it's frustrating and I think it's short sighted and I'm not gonna I don't want to give the players a complete free pass um, because anytime the league wants anything from the players uh, there's you know they have to give up something and anytime that's there's something not specified in the CBA there's a negotiation and you know for example and I keep bringing this up but you know the the league wanted to go to three on three all-star format so Players asked for a um, you know the the week the bye week and mm-hmm. that's how it always goes and so for the players and maybe they offered something to the league I don't we don't know the backroom dealings but I, you know I think there there should have been something a goodwill offering so I think there's I think there's some blame on both sides but yeah I think we're now all of a sudden it's it's poisonous and I think we're I'm sure we're heading down the path of another extended. Uh, CBA negotiation, which
1: is miserable. And what what right what, what hockey fan doesn't love uh, some good old fashioned lockout talk? That's that's the best way to keep oh it going. Yeah, <laughs> it's brutal. Should so uh-huh.
0: we dive into escrow and uh, hills to die <laughs> yeah. on and all the, the good stuff? Dust off all those phrases.
1: I think we're gonna have uh, at least a couple months to uh, to really bring all that back. So let's uh, <laughs> let's enjoy the hockey while we have it we have pretty loyal listeners who generally know what's up and, and how we do it here in the Hockeypedio cast. So they already know all this. But for those of you that may have just randomly stumbled upon the show for the first time, in which case, where have you been all along? I mean, we've done over 150 episodes by now. Uh, or those of you that don't have your hands free at the moment and can't skip ahead a couple times through this ad like you normally do. And, and I don't blame you for that. I do that myself when I listen to podcasts. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's show. With their easy to use mobile app and online interface, they make it more convenient than ever before to get your hands on some tickets, whether they be for sporting events, to watch your favorite hockey team play, or to a concert for whatever act is in town that night. Uh, in just a couple clicks, they do all the groundwork for you, search in the internet high and low to compare prices, and find you the best deals out there. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code PDO and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So all you got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get $20 off. Let's get back to the show. Let's shift gears a little bit. I wanted to talk to you about the Detroit Red Wings since you're, uh as we mentioned at the start of the show, you're pretty familiar being down there in Michigan. And I think that Elliot Friedman had a, a fascinating section in his latest 30 Thoughts column about the Red Wings where he featured some Kenny Holland quotes and sort of brought up the point that at least just based on how Holland's spinning it right now, that he doesn't envision this being a long rebuild. Um, do you buy that, or do you think it's just kind of putting up a brave face, and 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 that they'll, that they'll actually kind of tear this thing down and, and start from scratch?
0: Sorry, I, I cut out right when you said what Kenny Holland told Elliot. So I don't want to. I don't want to. He
1: ba- you know. he he basically told him that you know he doesn't envision this being a long rebuild. Um, yeah. And and I I'm just wondering, do you think that that is something that is actually he actually believes, or do you think he's just kind of putting up a brave face in front of the media and he's no, actually? I-
0: I think he believes that. And and that, that aligns with conversations I've had with, with Ken Holland. And, and I mean, he could never say this, but for every Toronto and Edmonton um, success story, there is where you bottom out, you you get the generational player you want. There's, you know, there's probably twice that of teams that have, that have been bad for a long time. And, and the rebuild is taking forever and they may not ever get that guy. and, Um, you know, and Detroit realizes this. And so I think, you know, on some level they've, they've been preparing for this and Ken Holland would tell you, they, you know, they, they've been keeping their first round picks and they've tried to to keep as many young players in the system as possible. Um, I I think the other thing to consider that makes Detroit a little bit different uh, than other teams in this situation is they've, you know, they spent two and a half decades building up a culture of winning and I don't think there's a huge appetite to strip that down and tear it away and lose that. And, and, the, and, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but you know, people are raised in this organization here in Detroit to win and to play the right way and, and winning it and put the team first. Um, and if you tell them on some level, or you indicate to them by the roster you're putting out there that it's okay not to win, then you lose the, you know, what's been handed down from Steve Iserman to Nick Lidstrom to, Henrik Zetterberg, and I look, and, and, I, and I, you know, we can talk about culture, and sometimes it becomes a punchline and in the world of hockey, you know, amongst people that maybe don't believe in it, but I just look at the, if you look at the way Henrik Zetterberg has played this year and whether or not he believes, you know, in kind of, we trying to win at all costs, no matter what the scenario is. I, I I've seen him play some of the best hockey in years and, it, it, you know, well beyond the point when we all realized the streak was over. And this is a guy that's, that's playing out of his mind right now. And I just think that's a credit to him and, and, you know, a guy that takes pride in, in what the Red Wings have done through the years and wants to keep it going. So, um, I, you know, I, I do believe they believe, it, it can be a fairly quick turn. I, but you know, from the outside looking in, I see. A lot of the pieces missing that you need to have a successful playoff team.
1: Yeah. I mean, as someone who uh, living here in Vancouver has gotten a C up close, uh, a formerly great team mm-hmm. refused to embrace and accept the reality of how much things have changed over the years. Uh, I would strongly recommend a, uh, they think long and hard about the atta- how they attack the summer because it's like it, it is a very slippery slope where if you try to half ass it sometimes, you can really set your franchise back a few years just because. Eventually, you're going to have to make those difficult decisions and you're just basically putting them off. And I, I, it, it's tough because you look at this, sure. r- you look at this roster and you look at some of the money they have on the books and there's a lot of long-term contracts here for players that are in their late twenties or early thirties that it, it's kind of tough to tell those players like, yeah, we're just gonna we're gonna suck for the next few years for the final few years of your contract. Like it, 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 it's it's a really tricky balance where they can't just go fully with a youth movement just based on how much money they've already invested into this team.
0: Yeah, and you know, and as we know, the only way to really truly win in this league is to have that franchise centerman or that franchise defenseman or ideally both. If you're the Chicago Blackhawks or the LA Kings and and or the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, the only way to get those guys that are at the top of the draft and, but like, I just think there's a fear that you could end up like, I think you look at the other teams in the same era as, as the Red Wings, you know, the, the, the better comparable maybe than Vancouver and some of these other teams is Colorado and New Jersey. Cause they, you know, those were the teams that the Red Wings were going toe to toe with kind of in the heyday. There's the devils and the avalanche and it was great rivalry with both teams. And, and you know, Colorado since tearing it down since the heyday has w we're probably looking at another rebuild. Like so they tore it down and they got Duchesne and McKinnon and that hasn't worked out as planned. And so now we're gonna trade, you know, Landeskog and, and Duchesne and guys that they tore it down to draft. And then New Jersey. you know, I remember Lou Lamarillo sounded a lot like Ken Holland a few years ago, where he, he talked a lot about culture and the devil's way and all this stuff and and, you know, now they've stripped that away. And, uh, you know, I don't... I think Ray Shiro's doing the right thing ultimately there. And I think they've done some some nice things. But I don't see the Devils being good for a while. I mean, do you?
1: No, they still have uh, at least like five or six moves to make before they can consider being good, which is... it's uh, No, it's a, it's a ways away. I mean, at least, you know, they got that... Uh, we, we'd agree calling taylor hall at least the building block or at least one of the first building yeah. blocks right so it's like that getting that type of player is someone that they didn't even really have in their system to begin with so i think that was a huge first step but i mean as we're seeing this year it's uh it's going to take a lot more to get them to the next level
0: so i think if you gave true serum to the red wings i think they they hope keep bringing in young players uh keep drafting you know that they've they've accumulated a lot of um draft picks. I I think their biggest sin is some bad contracts that I I don't mind the legacy contracts that Mm -hmm. came from the Stanley cup years. I don't mind the Zetterberg contracts and the Cronwall deals. Teams are going to have to deal with that. Like they they were good And Chicago's day is coming that they're going to have to deal with that. The the Red Wings biggest sin was the, was the, you know, advocator contract. Maybe the DeKaiser. you could argue, although I I think slotted in the right place, Danny Keiser is a a good defenseman. He just hasn't been slotted in the right place. Um, you know, a few of those contracts that were signed, I would say, over the last couple of years when those cup days were gone, those because now if you are tearing it down, you're going to have to get out of those contracts. And those were avoidable to begin with. That, that to me is, you know, that's going to be the challenge for Detroit.
1: Well, something I've been really fascinated with lately is the, um, just the concept of roster construction, how you're allocating your resources. And I remember... Uh, it was i don't know if it was before the season or right at the start of the year but you wrote about how the blackhawks were very unique and how they were you know they had all these top end guys that were making such a large percentage of their cap and then they just were fine kind of filling in the gaps with with whether it was a college free agents or guys from the ahl that they drafted a few years ago and i look at this red wings roster it's like a lot of guys in that like two and a half to five million dollar range it's just it's interesting just comparing those two things like obviously um once you get guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, it's, it's easy to just make the decision. Yeah. Let's pay those guys as much money as we possibly can and figure out the rest. But it's uh, it's just the disparity between those two is, is is kind of fascinating to me.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it's a lesson to be learned. I mean, um, I think Stan Bowman has, has provided all of the, every other blue, every other GM, a blueprint in how to keep the window open longer in a cap era. And that's, loose all of those borderline guys that you love and that are part of the fabric and you know Andrew Shaw's and all those guys that helped you win Stanley Cup. So it's not easy and and uh, you know loyalty is to be applauded on some level, but I think you know Ken Holland is a super loyal guy and I and I think on some on some level it's probably hurt him. I think Dean Lombardi's the same way, like emotional, loyal guy. Mm-hmm. And Stan Bowman has he's been you know he's been surgical about it. And it's like if you're not these five guys You know, we love you, thank you, and you're out. And um, I I think we're looking at, I think Steve Eisenman probably is headed down that same path with Tampa, and it's like, okay, he's identified their core, and boy, you know, we appreciate it, Brian Boyle, all you did, but, you know, you're out, and we're not going to pay a premium to keep a a third or fourth liner around. And I think in the past, teams would have probably kept a guy like Brian Boyle and extended him, but you just, I, I think you're learning those those guys have to be replaced by cheaper numbers and, and the cap space has to be reserved for the core and, and you have to rotate the rest out. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think Red Wings fans are frustrated with, back to the original point, is that it is just a lot of cont. These aren't core guys like Kane and Tate. These are, you know, Nyquist and Helms and, you know, Glenn Denning has a, a deal that goes through 2021, who I like. Everyone likes, you know, he can play on my team any day, but i don't know if you need two million committed there
1: yeah for like four or five years it seems uh, a bit yeah. excessive um okay let's talk a bit about your most recent column where you just roasted the entire city of winnipeg i feel like um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um not like gary lawless who i i'm to have to do later today <laughs>
1: um all right just just i guess without necessarily giving away everything because i do want people to go yeah. get espn insider and read it um Tell tell the listeners a bit about uh, sort of the angle you, you took in writing this art
0: column. Um, well, we, okay, so it's fun. I, I've been doing it now. This is the third uh, run at it. And, you know, I, I reach out to a number of agents, ask them to send a ballot in. It's the top three most frequently listed no trade Cities um, amongst their clients, and um, you know some guys it's just an estimate, and other guys get their contracts out, and they'll send me here. You know, here's player A, B, C, and D, and and, um, and and what I end up doing is kind of gathering those, adding them up, giving them points for a first place vote down to a third place place, and spitting out the results. And we have a new number one this year. It's exciting And the in the no trade poll with the Winnipeg Jets now replacing the Edmonton Oilers. And what's interesting now is now that there's a little bit of history with this is to see the kind of the teams moving up and down and falling off the list. Mm-hmm. Like uh, for example, the Toronto Maple Leafs for a team a couple of years ago, I, I would say every agent, if they didn't list them in their top three, at least mentioned uh, as a, as a place that players just didn't want to go, didn't want to deal with the media, didn't have a lot of faith in the direction of the team. Um, and now I bet you, you know, now someone made the comparison. Once they get going, they could be like the New York Yankees and that's the destination. And I think that's where we're headed. Um, and the other interesting one was Edmonton. Edmonton is been number one now It was number one, probably firmly the first two years of place, places, you know, players least wanted to go and had a number of agency this year that guys are taking them off the list. And there's certainly more of a willingness to go to Edmonton because of Connor McDavid and the new arena. And as one guy said, winning solves everything. Mm-hmm. You start winning guys will, will overlook a lot about a market or, you know, a a team and, 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 you know, if they they have a shot to win and if you can combine winning and a good lifestyle, then you're the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's why everybody wants to go there Uh, and a player's coach. And I mean, they're the ideal and you can get, brian campbell for nothing for one year if you're stan Bowman, and that becomes a huge competitive edge for those teams
1: yeah i mean there's only so much winnipeg could realistically do in terms of improving like the the other superficial factors but i i, I wonder like do you think that down the road the idea of playing with guys like linea and wheeler and shifley would help make them a more appealing destination or like is it just going to be purely like they need to start making the playoffs and actually winning games before that that change is kind of like it did with the oilers as you just mentioned
0: about yeah well we started so what this year is is a reflection of lists that were already turned in so i think there was you know i think we'll see it even more next year with edmonton with them now making the playoffs so i think there's like it it takes a little bit for it to happen but yeah i think absolutely like if line a becomes ovechkin and and is you know i love mark shifley he's one of my favorite players to watch and i think he's really good and blake wheeler's blake wheeler then you know, that, that becomes a playoff team. If teams think they're going to stay on the Cup of Winnipeg, they're going to go to Winnipeg, and they're mm-hmm. going to overlook, you know, some of the negatives. And, and you know, the one thing I was careful to do this year that I did, I probably should have done previous years, like, you know, I kind of stuck, stuck to kind of the hockey side and, and really here's why players don't want to go. And the first year I did it, I kind of let people take shots at the city and the weather, and I think it was, you know, on some level if you're fan there, I don't. I you know you don't want to rip on someone's hometown. So, right. but the reality is, I mean that's what I hear. People are like, oh, Winnipeg is cold and miserable, and, and it's hard to get to, and all of those things factor into this. But if you win, I think it changes everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, an interesting angle, sort of spinning this around is um, like I've been thinking a lot about TJ Oshie as one of the top free agents this year in, in the free agent class, and you know he's going to really cash in. But just the other angle to it is. I mean, if you're like a kind of fringe free agent or or a middle six guy who's looking for a new contract, like you'd really be enticed by maybe taking a bit less money to go play with the Capitals and potentially kind of fill in that spot next to Ovechkin and Baxter. Like it's, it's, it's where we've seen how playing with these great players can all of a sudden make you look pretty damn good. I mean, Patrick Maroon right now is, uh, it's a shame he's not a free agent this summer, but if he even has a decent year next season, like he's going to cash in quite a bit, just thanks to playing with McDavid for so much.
0: For sure, and I think TJ Oshie's a, an, an interesting person because he's not that. When we go back to to um, you know who do you sign and who don't you sign to keep your Stanley Cup window open,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's not an easy one, right? Is he a core guy? Is he, he? I mean, he's not a third or fourth liner, so we we can't rule that out. I, this I I think he's a tough decision. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's just under a point per game this year for the for the Capitals. Yeah. But he's also thirty. I
1: mm-hmm.
0: like. Like what are you doing with T.J. Oshie if you're Ryan O'Reilly? Let's think, say let's say you win a Stanley Cup and he's great and everything's wonderful. So, they've done everything you've asked of him
1: You shake his hand, thank him for his service, and let him let him leave. I think unless he's willing to, you know, unless he really just. Loves playing with Ovechkin and Backstrom, which I wouldn't blame him. And he decides to take less money, then you can entertain it. But I mean, just what I think he's like, you saw some of the contracts that were handed out last summer. I have no doubt in my mind that at least one team will offer TJ Oshie six years, six million, or something like that. Like it's, Didn't I, and Andrew Lead
0: gets seven years. Yeah. Andrew Lead got seven. Yeah, like seven, 42 years. TJ Oshie like, will get seven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, we'll get seven. If you're the Capitals, you cannot give TJ Oshie $42 million over seven seasons. Like that is just, that's a, that's a non starter. So he would have to take quite a big of a discount to stay
0: yeah and to your point that if if, if you win the Stanley Cup and you're the Washington Capitals now you can fill that spot with a guy on a two-year deal that's looking to you know for a breakthrough like players will want to go there and Mm -hmm. and you broke the you know the cup curse and and so I think you should take advantage of that as a GM and as, as much as you can and and capitalize on it rather than pay big to keep your own guys
1: yeah absolutely yeah as you mentioned with Stan Bowman it's uh sometimes you gotta know when to pull the pug and be a, a, a cruel cold calculated businessman um well
0: yeah. I mean just look at the guys he's, he's sent the other way I mean Andrew Ladd Dustin Buffett like Chris Versteeg yeah. uh, Brandon Saad Andrew Shaw. these are guys that are probably in the same kind of vein as TJ Oshie like mm-hmm. really good players great players and like with Buffalo's case um but you know, not guys that you've identified as your core.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So we've got a couple of days left here in the regular season. Is there anything, uh, you're keeping your eye on here? Or are you already kind of shifting your sights to, to playoff previews and stuff like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, the only thing, uh, you know, the closing of Joe Louis arena is going to take a lot of my time this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got, we're doing multiple sports center hits from the arena it's you know it's it's a big deal. So that'll be that'll be the last kind of regular season hurdle. But I'm already you know working on some playoff previews, getting ready to doing a Sydney Crosby piece because I'm headed down to that series to do Penguins Blue Jackets, and mm. I think that's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it.
1: How you, we should talk a little bit about, uh, I haven't had a chance on, on the show to talk about the Latang injury. Like that, that really, yeah. throws was a monkey wrench into that series. Do you think that obviously the Penguins are more well suited to compensate and fill in the gaps this year than they may have been last season with some of the moves they've made and, and the guys they brought in? But I mean, Latang was playing like 29 minutes a night during last year's cup run and he was just an absolute workhorse for them. And I just don't see how they're going to fill those minutes without taking a massive step back.
0: Yeah. I don't think they, like, I don't want to overstate it. And I'm sure this can come back to homie. I don't think they can win us Stanley the cup without Chris tang mm. He was, he was so good for them last year in the playoffs. And, and, you know, there, I, I, I was asked this, like, I think it was in the mailbag a couple of weeks ago. And I said, I said, you know, there was one moment that captured how good Chris Tang was more than any other moment in, that, in covering them in the playoffs last year. And it was in the game. They won to stay on the cup. There's, um, well, I think it was Logan Couture scores for the Sharks. And it's this point now where if you're the Penguins, you just lost an opportunity to clinch at home uh, in Pittsburgh the game before. San Jose's going crazy. Like, it was so loud there. And Chris Letang hops over the bench. And him and Sidney Crosby, I think it was a shift after a Malkin shift, had the puck for like a minute and a half. And it was the most dominant I've ever seen two guys play together, just willing their way. And Penguins ended up scoring a goal. And of course, winning the Stanley cup. And, and I don't know if Chris Letang got enough credit for the Penguins run last year, but they don't win it without him. He's such a competitor. And I, you know, I look at their defense and, and, you know, it's, yeah, they have more depth, but they don't have anything close to Chris Tang. And I don't remember the last time a team won a Stanley Cup without uh, that don- dominant top pair, number one defenseman.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a, uh, it's gonna be tough, man. It's gonna be really tough. Um, all right, Craig, where can people check out your work?
0: Um, yeah, so definitely check out the uh, No Trade poll. That's on ESPN Insider uh, for subscribers. That's mm-hmm. at ESPN.com. Um, give a follow at Craig Custance on Twitter and. I especially would like uh people on Facebook if you're on Facebook. That's I think that's such a hard. I don't know if you're uh, doing that Dimitri, but that's a hard kind of world to crack because it's different than Twitter. But I'm on there and if you can give that a follow too, just search my name, that would be awesome. I really try to Facebook Fe- Facebook
1: Facebook still a thing?
0: It is. It's a really, it's an important thing. It's it's the way it was explained to me, someone said, you know, Twitter is you're shouting out the news. Like Facebook is like you're in someone's living room with right. them. It's a little bit more. And then email is like you're in the bedroom. Like I guess would Ooh. be the next step. Up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hot. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, people like people, if you can connect on Facebook, I still think there's a lot of value there just in terms of just connecting with readers. And, and it's, it's, I find it a little more intimate
1: hey I mean I'm, I'm following Craig Customs on Facebook so um, I think that everyone else listening See? to the show should how as well. did you
0: know that I was on CNN world yeah, uh, exactly TV, I'm sure you weren't in London you watching
1: ju- that you well you jumped into my living room and that's how that's how I, I got it <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right Craig um, enjoy these last few uh, few days of the regular season and the start of the playoffs and uh, let's get you back on sometime down the road
0: Awesome thanks for having
1: all right, me Chat man.
0: The Hockey PDOcast with
1: Dmitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.